Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. With this regular podcast, we hope to give you some of the freshest insights you'll hear anywhere into business news and media and technology issues. Today I'm joined by David Packman, a partner at Venrock, one of the world's most widely respected venture capital firms, and we'll be discussing the state of the music business and how digital content consumption is changing. Before his VC career, David was the co-creator of the Apple Music Group, built one of the digital music field's early and most influential successes, eMusic, and is a leading expert on the digital music world and digital developments at large. Today, music consumption is shifting to streaming service competitors. The business model for the entire uh, media consumption world is changing. Apple is flexing its muscle with its four-month-old Apple Music service. And David has made very passionate arguments about how young people are going to be consuming media going forward. Both the music industry and digital content businesses have major challenges ahead, even as they grow large audiences. David writes frequently at pacman.com, P-A-K-M-A-N, and I invite you to read his very provocative and clever blog. David, welcome. Hi, Merrill. Nice to be here. Um, great to have you. Um, let's just start by touching on music, because music is in the news quite a bit these days with Apple's launch. Uh, they announced uh, six and a half million paying subscribers after their three-month uh, free period. Um, uh, Apple's uh, results have affected the um, the market uh, uh, situations of people like Pandora. How do you assess, as someone who knows Apple so well, what's going on uh, uh, with their music service? Well, it's it's hard to know exactly. Um, you know, Apple releases a couple different pieces of information that are sort of snapshots from a moment in time. Um, you know, I think they're entering a crowded market. Obviously, there's uh, you know, somewhere probably between uh, 80 and 150 million unique people on the Internet that are listening to streaming music with some high frequency. Uh, but there's 3 billion people on the Internet, so there's a whole lot more who aren't engaged in music this way. But we are 20 years into the transition uh, from analog to digital music, and we're really in sort of the the second major wave, right, the first one being digital downloads and the second being streaming. And we're already, you know, a good six or seven years into that streaming transition. So Apple is is late to this market, but is hoping to have a big impact. Um, you know, their announcement that they've got something like six and a half million paying users in, you know, 90 or 100 days or so, I think uh, is really uh, small compared relative to Apple's footprint, something like 600 million uh, or more iTunes accounts today, um, and they've already said publicly they expect to have 100 million paying users into the service. So uh, I think that's kind of lackluster. Um, but as long as Apple doesn't lose interest in it, I think they can over time you know, drive um, some, some use on their service. What we don't know, of course, is the churn rate. Uh, you know, this is a subscription service, and the only metric that matters on subscription services is churn. And so we just don't know how long people will stay paying members of a service that has no free alternative. 
And what do you make of the circumstances faced by the competitive set that they're in? Um, would you be terrified if you were running Spotify or Pandora today? No, I, I wouldn't, actually. I mean, I think those are companies with a whole lot of experience in operating very successful mass market digital music services. In the case of Pandora, excuse me, in the case of Spotify, I believe that service has network effects. Uh, you know, you spend time curating a list of people to follow and following playlists. And so the, the cost of switching from Spotify um, to Apple Music is very high. It's not something I believe many people will do. Uh, so I think Apple is really focusing on the people who are not yet Spotify users. Uh, in the case of Pandora, I think you can use both. I mean, there's really – Pandora is uh, more of a lean-back, um, more traditional radio model than, uh, you know, a fully on-demand, lean-forward, mu paid music service. So I believe the two can coexist. Uh, but remains to be seen if, um, if Apple Music can develop a brand as dominant as Pandora. Pandora is probably the most well-known digital music brand on the planet just in terms of the number of people who touch it. Um, uh, on, on their devices today. You, um, as uh, everyone who looks at your uh, online uh, footprint knows, are also a musician, a drummer, among uh, other things. What would you be doing now if you were a musician or in the music business today to deal with the business model challenges they face? So I think this is... Um you know, a, a business that has undergone dramatic trans transformation over the last 20 years, as uh, you know, as everything went digital, um, it's a business that is a much less interesting business. The, re the recorded music business is a much smaller business. It was a $40 billion industry globally. It's now uh, considerably less than half of that. It's not growing. Uh, it's you know flat some years and is down you know three to six percent other years. It's it's just not a business that's exciting. Um, but there are so many things happening online related to music that are exciting, and I think the 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 places to look for that are on the platforms uh, and social networks where uh, the long tail of creators can get exposure. Um, you know platforms like YouTube. And uh, in a live sense, a, a company called YouNow, which I invested in, are platforms where there is a vibrant amount of sort of music-related activity from the long tail of creators who are less concerned about their eroding paychecks um, and are more concerned with exposure. And they're get, getting quite good at using these platforms to build audiences. Um, so that's where I see uh, signs of brightness. You wrote recently about, um, what, in, in an essay you called Attention on your blog, about where young people are actually spending their time, not just in the sense of media consumption, although that's part of it, but in terms of what they're devoting their attention to. It was a very provocative essay, and some of your traditional media friends um, dug into you a little bit in the sense that you minimize the uh, traditional media future, uh, something that most digital experts do. But tell us a little bit about attention and what you'd like uh, your readers to take away from that essay. So I'm a, a venture capitalist, and, and uh, the, we, I make very early stage investments. And uh, that means that the companies take somewhere between six and ten years to reach maturity. So for me to make an investment, I have to have some idea of what the long-term future holds. And by long-term, I mean, you know, five to ten years from now, not what's going to happen in the next, you know, six or 12 months. And so the, the only way I know how to do that in the consumer space is to look at what young people are doing. 
since young people are the ones who are the predictors in almost all cases of, of future, I spent a lot of time looking at teens and digital natives. And I've now worked hard to quantify their viewing and media consumption behavior, and it's dramatically different from uh, you know, people in their 40s and 50s. Uh, most of the people who work at, at traditional media companies are in their 40s and 50s, uh, and um, the overwhelming majority of the people who are making or breaking uh, digital mobile companies are teens and millennials. So uh, you have to first spend your time looking at, at what uh, young behavior is. The data is very clear that um, young people do things very differently than the way traditional media uh, cons uh, consumers, people who grew up with traditional media, behave. Uh, they spend a, a, a disproportionate amount of time on you know, user-generated content media, social networks and communication platforms. In fact, they spend something like uh, a third to two-thirds of all of their screen time uh, on those products. And so an overwhelming majority of their attention are on these new platforms. And these platforms are all built by tech companies. They're not built or owned by um, traditional media companies. And so you have to ask yourself if your future customers are spending no time or diminishing time on your products and are spending the overall majority of their time on other platforms, shouldn't you be participating on these other platforms in some way? Uh, and so I, I, that was really the crux of the essay. And I, I think I, I did a pretty good job of pointing out how large the audiences have gotten on many of these other social platforms. I'm talking about not just YouTube, but places like Instagram and Twitch and Vine um, and, uh, uh, and YouNow and Facebook and Twitter, of course. And uh, the audience sizes are massive, yet the conversation in mainstream media and among traditional media executives often ignores these platforms entirely. Um, one, one point I pointed out is that uh, Twitch, the live streaming product that um, has a platform where people stream their video game playing, uh, there are... Um, uh, broadcasters on there who have audiences that are larger than uh, all but the World Series uh, and sometimes larger than the World Series audiences. Yet, there's been no mention of those folks in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, uh, but they're as much of a media phenomenon as, as baseball is. So um, I think it's super important to, to watch this, um, and, uh, I, and I think it's a predictor of long-term behavior. And yet your media friends, or at least some of them, traditional media friends, shot back at you talking about engagement as much as, um, as eyeballs and reach and that people do watch television for extended periods of time, they argued. And you got into a pretty good spat with a few of them in the, in the spirit of, um, of a blog conversation. How do you characterize that argument? Well, what I didn't say is TV is dead or TV is bad. I mean, I think we're in the golden age of television. The, the, the amount of high-quality television programming is, is greater than ever. Um, but what I'm pointing out is that the people who are predictors of the future are watching much less and less, much less of it and instead are spending their time on other stuff. And so if you want to know what the future's got to look like, you've got to Take a look at what they're doing. Your, your, um, da your it's data is wrong to say, but a lot of people watch TV and it's a great business model. Totally true. <laughs> um, I'm not arguing with that. Um, but it's the data that I presented about the audience sizes uh, and the time spent on these platforms is largely irrefutable. Um, if you want to argue, but that the World Series is still really important and a great place for advertisers, I agree. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree with that. 
You know, the other, um, I think, point that people get into here is a conversation about measurement. And, you know, one of the challenges with trying to define the size of legacy TV audiences is that we're really talking about data that's provided by a company who is conflicted, I'm talking about Nielsen, who is paid by the very people that um, they are measuring and who uses a panel of 25,000 viewers as a proxy for what behavior really is. But in the digital world, we have absolute data. Now, you could argue that it's, it's flawed too, um, but uh, we, we have much less conflicted data um, when, we, when we look at online information. So I just feel really good about the fact that there are larger and larger audiences on these emerging platforms, and they tend to create billions of dollars worth of wealth and it's a good bet for VCs. But I'm not saying TV's dead. That's not my argument. You, you, were, you had very compelling uh, data and an argument about people, I believe, 24 and less in that essay, who you basically said, and with uh, considerable uh, validity, really aren't even watching. Correct? Yes. Yeah, someone said about that group, that sort of, you know, the real teen group, maybe call it 22 and younger, that um, the TV is the second screen for them, that... Uh, they spend far more time looking at the glass in their hand uh, than the glass mounted on the wall. And, um, in fact, it's TVs competing to try to get into their lives as opposed to the opposite where the mobile phone is trying to, you know, get more and more into the lives of 40 and 50-somethings. Your, um, your, your business, the venture business, um, is having a lot of discussion these days about the valuation of um, – of the large, sexy enterprises in it, so-called unicorns and so forth. Um, what do you think is going on right now? Are we in a bit of a hiccup and people are terrified, or is this just another moment of anxiety because the Middle East is imploding and many other things are going on that are disheartening? Um, I think it's a healthy conversation to talk about the late-stage valuations of, you know, call it 100 or 200 tech companies, um, because there's very little opportunities for um, investor growth returns in the stock market. We've, you know, we've had zero percent, effectively zero percent interest rates for a number of years now. We've had very little predictable growth in the equities markets. The only place there is great growth is in the tech sector. Um, this has been true for you know five or eight years or so. Uh, and so, if you're an investor looking for great returns and trying to you know get some growth, you're attracted to tech. And that has caused, I think, later stage valuations where, you know, non-VC investors tend to participate to go up in, in uh, price for a couple of years and uh, probably reach some levels that are, um, you know, too high. So I think you're, you're seeing some corrections happen there. But I think that for some reason the media loves that, to talk about that story. Yet at the same time, we've got never before have we had this many companies – disrupting this many industries based on some new technology innovation and reaching revenue and user scale so quickly. Uh, you know, it's, it's so different than uh, the early days of the Internet. We see companies that have raised a million dollars in capital that have 10 million users, have a share of users' attention, um, and, and are generating revenue. So it, it, to me, as a venture capitalist, it's a, it remains this unbelievably vibrant time where we can um, invest in really transformative ideas at still historically interesting prices, provided you're at the early stage. You know, I, we're not late stage investors, so I think we're a little bit less. And, and I assume uh, you you share my, you share my view um, that 
there are industries, many of them, worldwide yet to be disrupted. Fair statement? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I didn't see, maybe you saw, I didn't, uh, I didn't see taxi service and hotel rooms and lots of other things that have benefit, benefited from the uberization of things uh, happening, and that points to a model that's going to reoccur, isn't it? A hundred percent agree. Uh, I, you know, I feel, uh, you know, that some, some of these points of view have been really well articulated by Mark Andreessen, um, but that sort of software is changing every single industry. Like no industry is safe from, from transformation as a result of the application of software technology, of big data, predictive analytics, of uh, cloud-based computing power. I mean, truly every industry will be revolutionized by it. And I appreciate that if you're not in the tech industry and you hear people in the tech industry talk like that, it sounds like this terrible arrogance that how are, how are you guys who know nothing about our industry going to come in and blow our industry up? Like, it's ludicrous. Yet it's happened over and over and over again. We've seen it in media industries like newspapers and music. We're starting to see it in television right now uh, where, you know, Netflix and Amazon are – uh, bigger or, or more important than almost, almost all the legacy television companies. Um, we uh, obviously we saw it in, in travel, as you point out. We're seeing it in taxis, and I think the next thing we're going to see it in over the next five to eight years is automobiles. The entire car itself will be rebuilt by software companies, um, and they will take advantage of all of their areas of um, expertise without the need to become experts on internal combustion engines and union management and, um, and uh, you know, bending of steel, which is the real you know, uh, expertise of the legacy companies. Uh, and it can completely transform society. So I, I'm with you. Uh, there's never been a more exciting and scary time at the same time. Uh, David, great having you in this conversation. I wish we could go on forever and in other settings we have and, and will, I'm sure. Uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, to those, my pleasure. And to those listening again, I want to remind you: David writes one of the great blogs in the media and technology world at Pacman.com, P-A-K-M-A-N. Um, and please uh, give a read, especially to his recent essay on attention. If you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at nine seven three six five five three one three five. I'm Merrill Brown. Thanks for listening.